Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. I'm Josh Desch, pastor of community and discipleship at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And guess what, folks? This is season two. We're here. Season two of Intersect. And I am delighted to have two guests in studio with me today. First of all, as always, my lovely wife, the erudite Betsy. Erudite. Wow. Hopefully I said it right because it's a smart word. <laughs> and <laughs> That'd you be are, ironic if you mispronounced it. You are very well learned, if I may say. You are very erudite, Betsy. And I'm Thank also you. with the sagacious Anthony Lavodi. Nice. Hey. I like sagacious. Sagacious. Can we have a definition on that? Uh, it's similar to erudite. Ah, <laughs> it means okay. both of you guys are smarter than I am. Okay. is really what the point is, and that's why we're delighted to be uh, talking with you guys today about a very important topic. So we're kicking off season two with a topic that is relevant to everybody, and that's one of the reasons we're very excited to hear from Anthony about how he integrates his faith with his job. The title of this episode for today is Connecting Sunday Worship to Monday Work. Hmm. All right. So think about it. As Christians, we go to worship God. We're with His people on Sunday. We go to the service. We give. We serve. But, of course, then Monday comes. The alarm clock clock goes off. It's, you know, 5, 6, 7 a.m., and it's back to the grind. It's back to uh, what pays the bills. And we know that people vary in terms of how much do they like their job, uh, all these different things. Are they doing what they want to do? Are they using their gifts? But as Christians, of course, we have this even larger question of what is my faith supposed to look like Monday through Saturday? Mm -hmm. It's very easy. I think this is even a temptation for pastors to view Sunday as this this unique day where then what's happening the other days of the week are not necessarily directly connected, or maybe we're not making the connections as clearly as we should. So let me introduce, before we hear from Anthony, and we're going to get to hear a little bit of his story and then uh, get his thoughts on this topic, and Betsy as well. Let me, um, first of all, share a quote from Tom Nelson, who wrote an excellent book called Work Matters. And Tom says this, of course, remember the word vocation just means the thing that you're called to do. It's kind of a, a word for calling. He says, vocation is the path of daily life where we are called to be a faithful presence to the world. So as Christians, we're called to be a faithful presence. Then he goes on. Yet living a seamless faith that connects Sunday faith with Monday work is not easy and will require disciplined intentionality. So I think Tom is onto something there. He goes on to talk about how it's hard for him, and I think it's hard for all Christians to um, see how our faith directly translates into our jobs. So, Anthony, we're so happy you're with us today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I looked you up on LinkedIn. Congratulations on 19 years at Murphy & Grantland. 19 years this summer. Wonderful. Well, Anthony is also a ruling elder here at Northeast Presbyterian. And Anthony, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, how you got into law? Yeah. So, uh, I actually grew up here in the Northeast part of Columbia, uh, actually within a stone's throw or a decent drive off the uh, golf club from uh, here in Northeast uh, okay. Presbyterian Church uh, and went to Spring Valley High School. And from there, I went to the Citadel and I uh, had a four-year Navy scholarship. So I took a commission in the Navy after I got out of the Citadel and served 
as a surface warfare officer for four years there and uh, decided as I was getting out of uh, the Navy, decided to go back to law school uh, and uh, came back here to South Carolina and went to the University of South Carolina for law school and graduated in 1997 and have been practicing law here in Columbia uh, since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the law has been just is always in, interested in student government and politics and things like that, and it seemed like a natural progression uh, when I was in undergrad as a political science major and things like that. And uh, so, yeah, so I've been uh, a trial lawyer for um, not the pejorative in the pejorative sense of the word. <laughs> I'm a defense trial lawyer, okay. and uh, and I've been with Murphy and Grantland, as he said, since uh, since June of 2000. Okay. And uh, it's just been a great blessing uh, in a lot of senses uh, for yep. me to be there. So, how often are you in the courtroom? Well, cases are not getting tried at near the frequency nowadays that they did maybe when I started uh, practicing there, and so. Uh, I actually had a, a jury trial in back in March. Some of my partners try cases on, on a more frequent basis. Okay. One of the things I've been doing recently is moving into uh, mediation, which is a, a way to help parties resolve their disputes. And I've actually, in the last several years, have been acting as a mediator. So uh, using my experience of having tried cases to help parties resolve those disputes. And I, that is actually a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed that aspect mm. of it. Is this criminal law? No, this is all civil law. Ah. So I – typically what I'll tell people is I get hired by insurance companies generally to defend people or businesses who get sued, mostly arising out of personal injury accidents. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. And, of course, you're married to Jill. Married to Jill. We have three children, uh, Sophia, who is uh, 22, William is 21, and Isabel, who is 19. Mm. Awesome. And they are they're going to school in uh, in the in South Carolina, aren't they? Yes. Uh, William is a rising senior at Clemson, and uh, Isabel is a rising sophomore at the College of Charleston. Mm-hmm. And awesome. Sophia is already on her way. She's already got a full time job, and she's working for the State Parks and Recreation Department, and she's doing great. And very proud of all three of them. Wow, mm-hmm. that's can you imagine the day when oh, our man. kids are feels like we got a earning a go. paycheck. <laughs> our littlest is almost in kindergarten. Dear we're Lord, get us there. <laughs> we are we are trying. Well, uh, we're excited about this topic. And Anthony, one other background note: uh, I heard on the grapevine that you used to be a DJ in your younger days. Used to be true? a DJ. Can you give us a little sample of, of what you would do of Tony Williams? Yeah. Maybe from back from the era, like you know. Yeah. Uh, Thirty-two minutes after the hour, this is Tony Williams on your radio. Coming up at the top of the hour, Sting. Sting, yes. <laughs> that was amazing. I love Sting. And maybe Journey, maybe some, yeah. And you're a big Eagles fan too, right? I love the Eagles. Yeah. Love the Eagles. Oh, and you're lots of music. Big music fan here, talented musician. Uh, but Aspiring, I, that's the best way I would describe myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, plays in, plays in the worship band at our church. Very, very gifted. But Anthony, let's, let's go ahead and jump into this topic. So you heard the quote from Tom Nelson, that the, we're called to be a faithful presence. I, I really like that phrase. For all Christians, we're called to be a faithful presence, but how we take that Sunday faith and integrate it with Monday work is difficult. So why don't you go ahead and, and share, maybe in a general level, how have you tried to do that? Where have you struggled? How have you dealt with frustrations in the workplace? How have you sought to do this in your Christian walk? Well, it's interesting. Um I guess I would answer that question somewhat a little bit about how my Christian walk has sort of coincided with my professional work at the firm that I'm at. I probably became a Christian shortly after uh, I 
went to work at Murphy and Grantland. And that is uh, a time where I was probably would have been like a lot of people who thought that they were believers and, and grew up and had religion, but no relationship. Mm. And, um, it was interesting. By the time I got to the firm that I'm currently at, Murphy and Grantland, there were four lawyers, and we are now 25 lawyers oh, or so. Wow. And uh, the 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 people that I went to work with initially, uh, my partner J.R. Murphy, John Grantland, Ron Deagle, when it was about the four of us, um, all of them very strong in their faith, and probably a lot of God calling me to go to work there had uh, a, a lot to do with my growth in my faith. Wow. Um, and when you talk about uh, faith at work, we are probably a very unique, uh, probably a, a very unique business entity in the sense that that is a big part of our culture. Um, is the answer to the first Westminster Confession, the Shorter Catechism question: yep. um, glorify God and, and enjoy, enjoy Him forever, forever. In yeah. terms of what we want to do and what we aspire to do in mm. in professionally. Um, so I think. Trying to answer a little bit of that question is I have as I have found myself growing in my faith, and I think understanding more of what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ, um, and really trying to live that out in my interactions, whether they are professional or personal, and mm. um, and it's it's really been um, definitely has been a challenge, but I I can see how I have grown in terms of how I interact with people. Uh, other lawyers, other staff members, and things like that. Um, so I, th- we are blessed in the sense that we have a very encouraging work environment where where our faith is. We're all encouraged to grow and develop in in our faith walk. I I recognize that not everybody probably lives in a and works in an environment like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but that is that is very encouraging though when I hear you say you can look back and see how, as you've grown as a Christian, you can see how that's uh, influencing your interactions. Right. In terms of how you interact with other lawyers and, and, and other colleagues. And I'm assuming law, like anything, there could be contentious relationships. There could be uh, temptations to, I don't know, not be Christian in, in one way or another. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, that that's probably been the biggest area of growth that I've seen in myself is just as growing as a believer and then growing as a lawyer who professes to faith to follow Jesus is to see how I have changed and developed in terms of how I interact. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we need to zealously advocate for our clients, but we don't need to do so in an uncivil way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to um, try to press whatever advantages we may have, but not to do so in an underhanded way, mm-hmm. um, to continue always to treat other people with uh, grace and and uh, be honest in all of our dealings. Uh, I'm, I'm, so it was kind of funny, I think, before we got started, uh, we were talking about, probably is a, probably a funny joke, how can one be a Christian and be a lawyer <laughs> at the same time? Um, but, uh, you know, I think as lawyers, we have a we're called to a profession, and I think we are called to to you know we we answer to our court system, we answer to a lot of people, so we do have a higher duty to others mm-hmm. that we interact with, and um, and and growing and developing in my faith has been a big part of uh, continuing to grow as a lawyer and how I interact with others. Mm. That that's awesome, you know, and I also think you know, of course, there's the lawyer jokes and all that, but how many of our politicians are 
people who have law degrees who have practiced law at one point or another. The the rule of law in so many ways is the foundation for our democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you think about other societies, so mm-hmm. it is such an incredibly important uh, area to to serve in. And I'm wondering this, Anthony, if you think about the gospel as a big story, okay, the big story that God created everything, then sin has messed everything up. I've messed everything up. Every one of us has messed everything up through our own sin. And then God has sent Jesus to redeem all things. And then he saves us by his grace. And then he uses us to be a part of that redemption process in the world. instruments of his grace. I yeah, think. I yeah. love that. To be instruments of his grace, of his kingdom. Um, how do you see your profession being a part of that storyline? What part does your profession uh, play in that story? And I'm asking this question for the larger reason because I think every profession has a part to play yeah. in advancing that kingdom. And so I want to hear from you, what part does your profession have to play? Well, and I think we, as I alluded to, we in the law certainly have uh, an obligation in that because I think we are called to, I don't want to quite say it as a higher duty, but we are we are called and are bound by certain things with respect to how we interact, how we do things, how we advocate. We operate in a system of justice, a civil mm-hmm. system of justice, a, a criminal system of justice uh, established by state governments and the federal government. So I think we have an obligation because we are entrusted with a great many things. Um, if you're a criminal defense lawyer, you're entrusted with the the life of somebody, their mm. freedom. Mm. Uh, if you are a prosecutor uh, for the state, you're entrusted with the power of punishment and, and depending on the crime, the power of pursuing the death penalty. Um, so you're, we are entrusted with a tremendous amount of things within the our justice system. And so we as lawyers, I think, have um, in some respects may have a heightened duty to – in terms of what – how we – interact with others and the duties that we owe to others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think being a believer can certainly help that. And um, and, and I think we are called to act differently uh, and interact differently and be different. We are called mm-hmm. to set, be set apart for the gospel. And I think, um, I think it can be a very big challenge to do it within a system where it clearly is not – it's not a system where everybody acts – out of that yeah. belief. And and are you do you find yourself and have you found yourself in situations where other people aren't really doing things the right way and and they're trying to gain an advantage that way and yet you're, you know, it's like an athlete who says, I'm not going to take steroids, even though I see the guy over there is hitting 20 more home runs a season than I than I am. I'm not going to do it because I'm a believer. Do you have you found yourself ever in those situations? Uh, absolutely. Or? When you have situations where um, you know, somebody's not holding up to their word, um, you know, the temptation might be to fight fire with fire. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody's being, you know, really uncivil, very disagreeable, things like that. You you started asking this question in the context of specifically of my job as a lawyer and my profession mm-hmm. as a lawyer. But but I, as I think about answering that question, I think about how it just has applicability to anybody mm-hmm. and in whatever mm-hmm. vocation or profession they are in. And I, I think about it, okay – you started off by saying we have a broken world that God has redeemed through the gospel. And, well, what does that mean? And it means to me that um, because I have been loved greatly, I need to love others greatly. Mm. Because I've been forgiven so much, I need to forgive others. Mm. And I think as I interact with others, and especially in challenging situations where somebody is 
you know, either being untruthful or has lied about a position or lied about uh, a situation, uh, I need to adhere to what how I am called to live. And mm. you know, if that means that I uh, get taken over the you know get taken to the woodshed yep. in, a, in a in a case, so be it. I have mm. I have I I have to be. I have to resist the temptation to let the things of the world impact and, and change my witness in terms of how I interact and live or uh, interact with others. I think law has such a, you know, it's so easy to see how the law done properly and done fairly, of course, and obviously it, that's not always the case in a broken world, but you can see how um, you know law has such an important part in pushing back against the fall into righting wrongs, to bringing justice to injustice, and um, that's just so important. And you know, I've d- I've been doing a lot of reading about North Korea recently. There's somewhere where, you know, everything is is top down. Um, mm-hmm. If if the dictator there doesn't like you, you're going to end up in or you do something, you know, that's a minor infraction, what we would call, you're going to end up in a prison camp. So the beauty of, you know, um, the law system when done properly and rightly is that it does enforce justice for the people. And that is, um, you know, that is something that is right in line with what God wants for the world. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if you go to God's Word, if you think about what is the rule of law really based in, if you go to God's Word, God is always talking about be be uh, just, mm-hmm. treat people with justice, mm-hmm. care for the poor, care for the weak, care for the powerless. And when you look when you look across other societies, other countries, you so often see the powerful using their power to oppress the weak mm-hmm. uh, by really just making the rule of law whatever they want to make it. Exactly. Right. And and so to have the system that we have, we know it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have to accept that as Americans, but. But to have the rule of law, it is such a blessing. And ultimately, if you if you look at the Bible, God is all about justice, mm-hmm. and He's all about uh, people being treated the right way because we all have dignity and value. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a challenge. Um, that's a challenge that I think uh, exists for us within the law, uh, those who are lawyers. But it, it it is something that exists for everybody. How do we mm-hmm. love others who aren't like us? How do we love yeah. others who are different from us? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we love the lost? How do we love them into the kingdom? We so when you're talking about you know living out your faith at work, um, I have that sort of as a macro level thinking about my role as a lawyer and how I might be advocating for clients or positions within our civil justice system, uh, whether it's in a court making arguments, things like that. But really, when you're talking about just living your faith out at work, it's how are you interacting with your staff? How are you interacting mm-hmm. with um, those you come into contact with? And uh, are you are you loving others, um, and especially those who you might who may not be lovable uh, initially? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. <laughs> that's right. Some some are a little more prickly, uh, but but everyone needs love. And I, I wanted to ask you this, Anthony, because we've reflected a little bit about how you have been with Murphy Grantland for 19 years. Uh, you are very good at what you do, and God has blessed that. You've moved into leadership roles in your firm. And I'd love to hear from you, what have you learned about leadership as you've matured in your career? Uh, because I know many, many people, really whatever vocation you're in, you're most likely at some point to be uh, have a leadership role over someone, and and uh, that's an important part. Well, um, 
So our firm in the last, I don't know, three or four years, we've done several book studies as as a firm with a lot of um, – with our entire um, attorney staff. And several of the books we've done, we've done some John, John Maxwell books, and he's a, okay. obviously a mm-hmm. um, very prolific writer and probably a, a great authority on leadership, uh, also a very strong believer as well. Um, one of the books that we studied was uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. It's actually by the Aspen Group, and it's it's mm. interesting. It's written from an interesting perspective. It's um, it's about a guy who kind of comes into a um, – gets a new job within a business, and um, as he's moving his way up, he has to go through like this two-day indoctrination, and everybody's talking to him about um, uh, living – you know, they talk to them about living outside the box or putting people in the box or out of the box. And as I was reading this book, um, I could just see the gospel just permeating through it all through this talking about, and it's really talking about leadership. Um, and the idea was, to me, it was being others focused. And so when I think mm-hmm. about leadership, I think about um, how can I be focused on others? How can mm-hmm. I be uh, interested in developing and growing others? Um, you alluded to, um, my kind of taking on leadership roles. I actually just finished being the president of our state South Carolina Defense Trial Attorneys Association. And and my vision for that year of my being the president was to be others focused and Mm -hmm. to, to, and, and, um, looking at the, looking at the gospel, uh, and, in in Philippians and just thinking about do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider Mm -hmm. others better than yourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and letting that kind of permeate everything that we, I do in terms of a, in, in my leadership role. And I think that's, um, you know, that is to me what has convicted me over the last several years in terms of growing and developing in my faith and whether I'm doing it as a lawyer or doing it in some capacity of leadership or even if I'm just doing it as a husband or a, a father in my household, how can I be more focused on somebody else? Mm. And um, uh, to me, a, a great leader, that's, that's probably fundamental is yeah. how do I focus on somebody else uh, and act out of humility? I love mm. that. Yeah, I, th- I just think of the phrase servant leadership and, and how that's really what great leadership is. And, you know, you're making all these great connections really directly from Scripture to, to how you're working out uh, your career. And I'm wondering, Anthony, if you have any advice. Let me, let me give you a, a, ca- a number of categories of folks here. Some who are younger in their careers— uh, others who feel stuck in their careers, some who feel that they wish they were in a different uh, position in their career, some who will even uh, at one point do something different than what they're doing now. I mean, you were uh, you were working on a, a navy ship earlier in your life, but you know before you became a lawyer. So, do you have any thoughts for those who are um, maybe not in the ideal position they want to be in? Uh, I think I think back on that too, and and. Um you know, regrets are, we all have them. Uh, I think Frank Sinatra said it. Regrets, I have a few. Um, <laughs> Frank might have had more than a few. He probably had he, a few, yeah. more than a few. But in terms of giving advice to um, somebody, you know, I've got three kids who are, mm-hmm. you know, either finishing college or beginning to get into their uh, working uh, life. And I think I would find, I would tell young people or somebody uh, who is maybe just starting out is to find something that you're passionate about. 
Now, there's a lot of drudgery in what I do in the law, but there's a lot of things that I that really excite me, and there's a lot of things that I really enjoy. So um, I have let that piece of that passion kind of drive me into um, growing and developing as a lawyer and now doing mediation. So I would tell people to um, just find something that makes them passionate and and let that be that driving force. Um, the other thing I would tell people to do is wherever – you find yourself, and I, we stress this with our kids, is to just to pursue excellence and just to mm-hmm. always strive to do mm-hmm. the best job that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, that is very biblical. Is you yeah. know mm-hmm. to 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 pursue excellence, to to live excellently, to act and and work in an excellent manner. And the other thing is to to take chances. I think um, some in certain generations probably think, well, I needed to do all the things. I needed to go to college and I needed to get a job. And mm-hmm. then once I get this job, I needed to get married and have kids and buy a house and do all of the typical things. And maybe there was a fear of doing something different because it was going to take me on this off of this path. So it might be, it might be kind of taking a chance. It might be moving into something to a different job or a different profession or a different calling than um, is the easy or comfortable thing. Um, so I would say to um, not be afraid of taking chances and um, and and trying to do things that are that you're passionate about. Yeah, that's great, and and especially I think about taking chances for a Christian. I think a lot of times that relates to the idea of faith. And we are Betsy. We've talked about this a lot. We are living in a hyper anxious age mm. where uh, it's not just helicopter parenting. It's it's kind of everything. There's so much to be afraid of, right? I mean, yes. the internet tells us a, a billion things to be afraid of, right. and and sometimes God is telling to us, no, step out in faith. You're not going to have every single thing planned out in your life, but this is what I'm calling you to do, and you need to pursue it. Yeah, yeah. I love the um, what we touched on earlier, just about thinking for for anyone in any profession thinking through um, how is this profession consistent with the gospel storyline? Like, how what's it doing to contribute to the common good? I think that's something that anyone in any line of work can think through. And just looking for those opportunities to serve people and to serve society, and that's applicable to anyone, no matter what job you find yourself in. For me, you know, I'm largely a stay-at-home mom. I do teach fitness classes here and there. Um, I think the temptation for a stay-at-home mom is to say, well, I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said that so many times myself. And, you know, to their credit, other people have jumped in and been like, no, you have like 500 jobs, <laughs> 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 which is true. Um, so this question is really applicable to any to everyone. How yeah. is God calling you in your daily life to live out your faith, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're an attorney, whether you're a pastor, you know, whatever God calls you yeah. into. Whether you're working in retail and you're interacting right. with customers on a daily basis. I know it I try to be more thoughtful than when I was younger about those quick interactions that I have. Mm-hmm. Yep. At the checkout counter. And and there are those times where you meet someone, you think, man, I think that person knows Jesus because they're just, how are they so filled up with joy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're happier yeah. than I am. Yeah. And and kind of to your point about where you are and where God has called you, I, I think that there's probably a, a little bit temptation where people, in terms of taking their Sunday faith and putting it in their Monday work, well, if I want to work for the Lord and really serve Him, maybe I need to go become... Um, you know, make this my vocation. Maybe yes. I need That's to go right. into yes. missionary. Yes. Maybe right. I need yep. to go into the ministry. And if we believe that in a, in a providential God and a sovereign God who who's going to redeem this world and call people to Himself, He's going to call people to Himself through 
everybody in this world, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. those who are believers. And so I think wherever you find yourself, whether you are a a manager at a retail store, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, um, you know, God can use you in that particular profession um, right. for for His glory. And so um, that is also gives me great comfort. If I'm thinking about, well, how, how do I want to serve Him more and serve Him better through my work? Uh, I don't need to go and become uh, a missionary. I can go mm-hmm. and be a missionary for him through my profession. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, oftentimes, the best place to witness for Jesus is right where he's put you. Mm-hmm. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your it's in your workplace. And uh, sometimes there there may be times to have those conversations. A lot of times, it's other times, it's just the, the life you're living, the way you're conducting yourself. And for you, Anthony, the way you practice law. Right. And, and what people see when they see Anthony Lavodi, this guy practices law in a way that I respect with integrity. I, you know, even if he's on the other side, I'm glad he's on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that we all want to be said about us. Um, so Colossians 3.23, to, to wrap it up here, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. That is, um, that's excellence. That's what you mentioned earlier, Anthony. And thank you so much for for coming on. And we have a couple final segments that we like to do on the show, and we want you to jump in here at any point. (laughs) Okay. I love it. So uh, the first one is, what are you reading? Betsy, you've been reading. I hear it's some really light stuff like Red Book or or Cosmopolitan. Has it been Cosmopolitan again, or what is? Well, Better Homes and Gardens. That's right. No, I've, I've been kind of on a North Korea kick. Um, I tend to go... Because who isn't really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, t- I tend to read in, um, I don't know, I just kind of get stuck on one thing. So my, 2017 was the year of Tim Keller. I read a bunch of his books. Um, I, I guess 2019 is the year of learning about North Korea. So I'm on my fourth book. This one is called, this is just fascinating. It's called The Great Successor. The subtitle is The Divinely Perfect Destiny of Brilliant Comrade Kim Jong-un. It's written by a journalist named Anna Fifield or Fifield. Um, it, it is a fascinating look into um, Kim Jong-un. You know, that is such a, a secretive regime, not, not a whole lot known about them. So this is kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit to learn a little bit more about how he was raised and uh, just very, very interesting. Wonderful. Well, Anthony, I would be delighted if I could call you brilliant comrade at one point or another. I would love to be brilliant comrade, but not for the Kim Jong-il yeah. reasons. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, fascinating. Of course, we also got to pray for Christians in North Korea. Wow. That's right. Um, I, I, wanna, I have a just being honest here, and I, f- I found this the other day, and I, and I just really, I, I want to have a conversation here, a really brief one about this. This is from um, CNN. Gendered language like manhole will soon be banned from the city of Berkeley, from the <laughs> Berkeley's city codes, okay? So let me just read this. Really funny. Let me just read this. Soon there will be no more manholes in the city of Berkeley, California. There will also be no chairman, no manpower, no policemen, or even police women, because the city is replacing in their city codes with gender-neutral terms, okay? okay? Because I know that when I see a manhole, I feel empowered as a man. <laughs> and you probably feel diminished, don't you, Betsy? When you see that manhole? So what are you going to call it? Well, okay, so here's... They have some suggestions they're going to put in their city codes. They're going to call it a maintenance hole. <laughs> and instead of manpower, they have human effort. Uh, they're going to change that. Uh, the That's Someone true. says, and I'm quoting here, 
having a male-centric municipal code is inaccurate and not reflective of our reality. Women and non-binary individuals are just as entitled to accurate representation. So that's what Berkeley is. So I have some suggestions, guys. I just wanted to – this is really for the city of Berkeley, California. Instead of manhole, I would like to recommend to them humanity hole or human species hole. Uh, those are a couple options that are non-offensive, right? I'm yeah. just trying to – I'm trying to be non-offensive here. Instead of a policeman, you could have a police being. So you could say, hey, there's some police beings over there. And instead of a chairman, you could have a chair human yes. or a chair personage. Yeah. So you just say, I'm the chair, I'm the chair human of this meeting. I understand a little bit more when you're saying policeman or because that refers to a person. Uh-huh. Manhole to me. Now that's just crazy. Okay. Because yeah. that's an that's something in the ground. I mean yeah. We're having a little fun here, Berkeley. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't even know where to go with anything. Yeah. 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 Changing times, perhaps uh, you will have to deal with litigation involving yes. city municipal codes. As a, as a lawyer, I love the language. Yes. I love words. It's all in the language. It's all in the words. Yeah. Yes. The wor- words are important. Well, Anthony, once again, uh, Betsy and I just want to thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you uh, personally for, for the blessing that you are and your family to Northeast Presbyterian. Thanks for coming on, sharing your wisdom. It's been a delight to have you. Oh, thank you. I thank you for what y'all have been doing. This has been a great um, podcast that y'all are doing. I've really enjoyed being a part of it. Awesome. So Betsy, can you tell our listeners how to rate, review, or subscribe? Yes. Um, do go to our website. It's uh, www.nepres.com slash podcast. There you can find show notes and links um, to anything that we uh, reference in our episodes. Also, shoot us an email if you have any feedback for us, intersect at anyprez.com. Also, you can find us on Instagram. We are Intersect Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.